I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's Fishtails episode is to, to Dive, dive for. for. So this week we are recording a little bit in advance, so uh, we've got a lot of episodes in the pipeline and we're super stoked about it, but that means that we don't know exactly what we're doing three weeks from now. (laughs) So hopefully we're doing something really cool and you'll hear so much more about it next week. But this week we are still, I'm still in Little Cayman, I haven't left yet as of recording. And by the time you guys get the episode, hopefully I will have just gotten back from visiting Florida, as well as doing a really cool fundraising event in Grand Cayman called the Festival of Seas. So I will hopefully be able to share a couple stories about all of that. Hopefully I went diving while I was in Florida and got to do something really cool. Yeah, well, you know I'm going to have to try to hit up the bridge. If if I can't, then I'll just cry. But, um... Yeah, hopefully that will be happening. <laughs> I'm going to need you to um send me some dinas via like overnight shipping. Mhm, mhm. I can do that. I'll just send you a video of me and Lawrence eating dinas and then you can you can uh, do with that what you will. <laughs> the best post dive meal. I miss it. It's so true. Um but yeah, so hopefully Hopefully everything has gone really great, and I will be back in Little Cayman uh, having a couple more weeks, and then I'll be out. I will be leaving so shortly. It's so wild. I cannot believe that it's already over, Um, or almost over, rather, but hopefully I will be uh, getting involved in some really cool stuff in South Florida, and then some crazy adventures in the next year so we'll we'll see what comes but yeah yeah it's weird coming to the end of a chapter you start to look at things a little differently I feel like yeah definitely it's so crazy how quick your time in Little Cayman has flown by I know it's really wild um yeah well I guess we better get to sharing some listener stories I tried to get everybody to share boat stories because I have a lot of really good boat stories. So I'm just going to share my boat stories um, because nobody sent in any, but uh, that's okay. I'll share everybody's fun, cool dive stories and then I'll just tell everybody my own boat stories. And then if this inspires you to send in more boat stories, you can do that and it'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, speaking of boat stories, maybe I can go first and share one of my boat stories and then we can sandwich some listener stories in and then I'll finish this out with another crazy boat story if uh, if you're cool with that. Oh, man, I am dying to hear the boat stories. The boat stories. First of all, I miss boating so much. I I desperately miss um bluetooth radios on boats and listening to podcasts Um, and noah kahan i really (laughs) really miss that i'm spoiled and it's ridiculous i am a baby but 
Anyway, that's what got me thinking about boats. And I was thinking about uh, a couple summers ago, I did some work on an EPA contract. Um, and basically every year, the EPA contracts different agencies throughout each state that has coastline in the United States. And they, every other year, they do either a rivers and streams assessment. So they send out these, you know, contractors into the different river and stream areas in their state. Um, and they do a set amount of different like assessments. And typically it's like really broad scale. It's like a shotgun approach to try and get like an environmental assessment. So it's things like sediment sampling, like um, microorganism or like small invertebrate sampling. It's uh, water quality, it's bacterial load, it's chlorophyll and like sonds and all sorts of different things, right? So huge different variety of things that you test. So every other year, it's either rivers and streams or the other one is wetlands. And then every fifth year, instead of doing either of those, they do an ocean assessment. And so it's like all the coastal ocean area. Um, so I got lucky enough to be on the ocean year, which I was really excited about. And it was right after I graduated from undergrad and I was out doing literally every single day. We were waking up at like 4.30 in the morning, driving to a boat ramp in the dark, a boat ramp that we've never been to. We were responsible for the entire Texas and Louisiana coastline. So we'd go to this brand new boat ramp every morning and we'd launch the boat in the dark and then we'd boat around to our, our site. And then by the time we got to the site, it was usually light out. And well, I mean, it had to be light out because we were doing <laughs> like paw readings and stuff like that. Um, but we'd be boating there during sunrise and lots of crazy stuff. We, because we we're in all these coastal waters, there's, you know, all sorts of different things that you encounter, um, including, of course, things like waves and wind and, um, you know, just crazy environments. And I remember at the very beginning of the season, we were, one of the assessments that we did involved using an otter trawl, which is like this big net that you pull behind a boat. And it has these big wooden doors and they like close and trap like fish in there and so we would we would do like a fish tissue assessment to see if the fish had any um like you know buildup of different toxins or pollutants or thing in their tissues and so we'd use this giant otter trawl we'd tie it up to the back of the boat we'd you know go in a certain direction for a certain amount of time and then we'd pull in the trawl well one day we were sampling in the houston shipping channel and we used the otter trawl and you know, we're, it's like the end of our day, we're really tired, whatever, and we took a turn, and we hadn't really bridled the, the net to the boat correctly, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't think we did it correctly anyway, um, and the, the line, I forget what it's called, but basically, like, the line that was holding the net to the boat was too close to the propeller, and it there was like slack left in that line and so as we took this turn and we slowed down the prop got wrapped in that line of, that was holding the uh, net to the boat and so we're now dead in the water the prop has turned off we we turn off the motor so that we can go and start figuring out you know how to disentangle this otter trawl from our propeller and um we are in the middle, like heads slung over the side of the boat trying to fix this thing. And then next thing you know, we hear this noise and we hear five really loud blasts coming at us, which like horns, um, which if you have taken any like captains or boat safety certifications or classes, you'll know that is the signal for danger. Um, so we all look up 
and there's a freight ship, like a, a shipping container ship coming at us because we are in the middle of the Houston shipping channel, one of the busiest ports in the country. So we're in this little like 23 foot twin V dead in the water with no motor. And this ship is just like barreling towards us and we can't move out of the way and it can't slow down. Like there's nothing it can do. Um, and so it's just like blasting its horn at us over and over and over again, like get out of the way. And we're like, yeah, we know, <laughs> like we are trying to. And so that just kicked everything up a, not a notch. Um, everybody's adrenaline was like on high. We were kind of running around just trying to figure out like what we were going to do. And we, in one of our tool bags, this is why you should always come equipped with all of your safety equipment every time you're on the boat, because you really never know when you're going to need it. Um, but one of our tool bags had a really good knife that was really effective at cutting line, right? Like cutting rope. And so we are like, someone is like, quick, grab this knife. And we like throw ourselves back over the side of the boat, like wake is coming our way. And then we like cut this line. And, you know, the at this point, the whole net is inside of the boat. The only thing we're trying to clear up is the prop. And so we cut this line, we unwrap the prop. And then we turn on the motor and like floored it out of the way of this vessel. And we got out of the way in time. Everything was okay. But it was an absolutely hairy situation. And I, I don't know. It's I think that none of us in the moment realized exactly how dangerous or dangerous it was until we sat down that evening and like thought about it and reflected over the incident. And we were like, oh, wow, like. If we hadn't, like, what would have happened? Like, if we hadn't gotten that untied, like, there was, it just would have not ended up very well, right? Like, there's not a whole lot that can be done by that that shipping vessel. So um, that was probably one of my more stressful situations I've ever been in on the water. It was, it was pretty crazy, but it just all happened so fast, which is, I think, the benefit of, like, always not only having equipment but like knowing where your safety equipment is and like going over safety responses especially you know like thinking about divers in the water like going over rescues or like you know your safety responses frequently so that that information is kind of at the the front of your mind and not lost somewhere back in the like oh i think i put a knife in here four months ago and it's buried somewhere in this bag that i don't know <laughs> yeah um but yeah, absolutely crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, every time you tell that story, it's just so insane and definitely so much adrenaline, which is why I think you guys didn't even realize how crazy of a situation that was until you sat down that night. Everyone was probably just in survival mode, rightfully so. Absolutely. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, it's... It was wild. So that's that's my crazy boat story for you. Um, you can bring us down a notch with some lovely dive <laughs> stories, Sydney. Oh. Sounds good. I think we have a positive one. Ooh. Yes, yes. Okay. So this one that I have for us today is from Evelyn. She writes in, This is a story of my third and fourth dive ever in the Red Sea. PSA, it's a long one, so strap in. I got my scuba certification right before leaving on a trip to Egypt. In fact, I got it so close to my trip that I didn't even have time to get an open water certification before leaving. 
just to discover scuba cert. This meant that my third and fourth dives ever were conducted in the Red Sea in Ras Mohammed National Park. After excitedly descending under the surface, I saw an insane new world flourishing around me. I couldn't help but laugh as I passed huge corals, schools of needlefish, bubbling pufferfish, and neon purple and pink fish I have no clue how to identify. The corals stood as a wall next to me, vibrant yellows and pinks and reds and purples. I'm from Florida and have snorkeled in the Keys at our coral reef, but this was totally different. These corals were so alive and the reef was buzzing. I saw clownfish for the first time in the wild and saw them protect their anemone when my dive master poked his head close to them, pretending to give them a kiss. Nemo was kind of bigger than I thought, not gonna lie. On our second dive into the reef there, I saw a giant moray eel curled up in the rock, sticking his head out of the crevice he was in and opening that big scary mouth of his when we passed by. Blue-spotted stingrays dotted the ocean floor, and huge schools of tiny orange and yellow fish swam by us in unison as we explored. It was the kind of dive where you think to yourself, wow, I can't believe this is my life. I already felt so lucky to be there when just minutes after our dive, we spot a giant fin in the water. Naturally, the tourists got jumpy and everyone climbed up on the boat to see what shark was in the water. What a freaking surprise it was when from underneath our boat comes a massive blue and gray spotted back of a whale shark. Jaw-droppingly gorgeous, it looked like it had diamonds glistening in the Egyptian sun on its back. So majestic, and the boat crew said it was probably a baby, which was crazy to me since this guy was already huge. It was the perfect culmination of an unforgettable day of diving. I hold on to the feelings of that day. I've always loved the ocean, but experiencing its beauty firsthand has really deepened that sentiment. I've attached some pictures of the blue water and a snip of a school. They just don't do the reef justice. Plus for funsies, one of me with Oompa Loompa hair. Anyways, thank you guys for the awesome podcast. You guys inspire me to live my dreams on the sea. Aw, thanks, Evelyn. We love that. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. And such a fun story. Like, I would die to see, yeah, a baby whale shark in the ocean. Like, in the wild is just insane. It's just good. It's a good, wholesome little story, and I love it. And I... I like I relate yes. to that on some level. I don't know if like <laughs> listeners you guys remember in the very first episode Sydney and I were kind of talking about what brought us to the ocean and um yeah, it like totally has been like this crazy experience that I had at the very very beginning. It was like my first ocean dive ever and I saw this giant manta ray and it was such a really important like formative experience in my early years coming to the water and um yeah, I, I just, I relate to to Evelyn. I feel like I understand that feeling of, like, always loving the ocean, always thinking it's really cool, but then having this, like, crazy life-altering experience that you call back on over and over. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so stunning. I can't wait to see a whale shark one day. It's gonna be wild. I know. I've only ever seen them in the Georgia Aquarium when I first, yep. I wasn't even scuba certified, and that was our first little intro to the world of diving and I think that's definitely what inspired me to work up and get my open water but definitely a goal to see 
that species in the wild. And hopefully I will when I spend some time over um, on the west coast of Australia at Ningaloo. Um, but I also liked this story because Evelyn said she saw her first clownfish in the wild. And that just happened to me a few days ago. And they are bigger than you would think. And they are, they don't want their pictures taken. They don't want you to look at them. They just want to hide in their anemone and have nothing to do with humans. So, <laughs> but do they like to cute. touch the butt? That's that's the real question here. Nemo, don't touch the butt. <laughs> he touched um, the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a picture of one of the clownfish with one fin up, looking like it's waving at me, and I just thought of Nemo with his one tiny fin and his one normal fin. Oh, that's so cute. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay, well, I am going to tell a story from a friend of ours. Um, This is a friend of ours named Ethan. Thanks for sending in a fishtail. And he actually spent his whole summer this year down in the Virgin Islands. Um, I'm not exactly sure which Virgin Islands. He might have actually said it in here, but... Basically, he spent the summer doing some really cool, um, like, sailing, marine science, scuba diving voyage. Um, And he got to, like, host other kids coming out on these events. And so they, like, he acted as both, I think, like, a skipper and maybe a marine scientist and things like that. Got to, like, kind of play a role learning how to do it. Maybe he was the scuba. I'm not sure what role he played exactly. But basically, he got to, you know help lead these experiences and also got to learn little bits of the other things um which is really cool and so yeah i have heard or seen little bits of stories from his summer but he sent this one into the podcast i'm really excited to share it with you guys um so he writes in uh, there we were moored off the vertical cliffs of saba in the caribbean well there you go that tells you where he was <laughs> um everyone was getting ready to go to sleep and when the quiet lapping of the waves on the hull was interrupted by a wet thud followed by a shriek. As we ran out to the bow, we found a girl who had leapt out of her sleeping bag and was yelling about the fish trying to attack her. Lo and behold, there it was. A flying fish, fleeing predators of its own, had flown astray right into our boat and was now shimmying its way towards our friend's sleeping bag. Although maybe not as funny to her, we all had quite the laugh, and it made for quite the story when she got home, I'm sure. Also, it was my first time getting to hold one of these incredible fish, and it was amazing. And he attached a I'm picture. I'm looking at the picture, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so cool! Oh, we'll definitely have to share this one. I love flying fish. Like, when I'm on a dive boat, seeing them off in the distance is my favorite thing, and Watching them when we were on the research cruise this past summer um, out in Flower Garden Banks was beautiful with the sunset, but I I don't think I want one in my sleeping bag. I'm good. No. Yeah, I'm, I think fish should probably stay out of sleeping bags. They're, they're much better yeah. for human feet, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. Man, I, uh, that is really cool, though. That picture, you can, like, see its wings so clearly. I feel like I never get to, like, really see their structure because they're just so fast, you know? So, that's awesome. It's 
so cool. Yeah, I love all these pictures that have been sent in for these stories. Evelyn had some really good ones diving, and now we got a flying fish. So cool. You know, I really, I actually love when pictures get attached to these. It's, it's so, like, I feel like I get to experience some of the story with the, the writer. So it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Okie dokie. I have another <laughs> one. <laughs> this one is from Carrie. Thank you for writing in, Carrie. So a few months ago, I had the amazing opportunity to work on a project that collected benthic data near the Swahani River Basin in the Gulf of Mexico. This data is currently being used for archaeological research to see how sea level rise historically impacted the area. Anyway, on this day, we had ventured out about 20 miles offshore to a prehistoric karst structure that was most likely a freshwater spring. During the dive, I was tasked with looking at the sediment for anything of interest. I was very focused on the ground when my dive buddy motioned for me to look behind me. When I looked, to my surprise, there was an absolutely massive loggerhead sea turtle. Upon later visits to the site, there was always at least one turtle at the spot, and the team was even able to capture images of what I suspect is a Kemp's Ridley sea turtle. I also found pieces of turtle scoots, turtle barnacles, and scratches on some of the limestone around the opening of the spring. My guess is that this spot was attractive to the turtles because it's a good place to get a back scratch, and I can't say I blame them. Just goes to show you, you never know what you're going to find while mucking about. So cool. I love me a Kemp's Ridley. I worked with them in New York, and they're not a very common species. They're uh, endangered, if I remember that correctly. So definitely a cool experience to see one, especially underwater. That would be crazy. Also, I can't believe, like, finding scoots and, like, evidence of scratching and stuff like that. That's so crazy. Yeah. That so, would be for so anyone cool. that doesn't know, scoots are uh, kind of the little, like, the little mosaics or, like, hexagony looking parts of the sea turtle's shell. So, each of those little pieces on their shell is called a scoot. And they can, like, peel off. Like, I know working at the rescue center, we had uh, lots of times where turtles would lose the top layer of uh, that shell. And I'm assuming that's what was found at the bottom um, of this dive spot when they were scratching about. They were knocking off pieces of their shell. Yeah, that's so cool. I feel like diving a karst formation would be really cool, though. I mean, I think, I think like, a cenote would kind of fall into that, right? It's like a sinkhole place where like rivers have historically run and then like eroded away at the surface layer of calcium carbonate um but like imagining going to a place that was now like flooded with seawater like full of seawater and being able to kind of go down into this old sinkhole or whatever that it just sounds really cool i think um i'm fairly certain that that's how like the blue hole in Belize and a couple other blue holes were created as like these big sinkholes that are now flooded with seawater, but still super cool. And I think even just the formation would be really interesting to get to dive on. Yeah, they look very similar to cenotes and just other cave structures. I'm looking at pictures right now because I 
I've never heard of diving car structures before, but it looks really cool and beautiful. Yeah. Super cool. Maybe we'll just attach one of these pictures and um, to give people a look at what we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I have one more crazy boat story to close us out with, and then you can share our last listener story for the week. Um, but yeah, keeping it boat themed over here on Haley's fishtail stories. So, <laughs> um, so this story actually came from the exact same summer, the same boat, the same crew. It was just at the very end of the summer. So as we have mentioned several times before, the end of a sampling period is always when things get really high pressure and really crunch time. Um, and I feel like this is when the most questionable decisions get made. And this is a great example of that. <laughs> so basically, we get to the end of the summer. We only have a few sites left. And of course, it's always the most difficult sites that like had the worst weather for the rest of the summer. And so they, we didn't have the chance to get to those sites. So this specific site that we had to get to was in Louisiana, in, in the waters of Louisiana. But in order to access it, you had to get there from the land of Mississippi. So we drive all the way to just across the border from Louisiana into Mississippi. And we hang out in that little town. It's super cute little town. Lots of little like quaint Airbnbs. Actually a really lovely place. Um, but we were getting ready to get some really gnarly weather that we didn't realize was coming our way. Um, and basically, like, we, we realized it was going to come, but we didn't realize how far in advance this once tropical depression eventually became a hurricane. Um, like how far in advance we'd see that wind and that, that weather and stuff like that, right? Um, so in this area, we actually didn't use our own boat. We used a local dive charter that we, or not dive charter, sorry, a local boat charter that we paid for because the area that in the Mississippi Sound where we had to cross is extremely, I don't want to say volatile, like, like it's violent, but volatile, like always changing, right? So the the bottom of the ocean there actually in this big delta is constantly changing shape and sandbars will appear and disappear practically overnight. So if you're not boating there regularly, you can't easily navigate around all the sandbars to get to where we need to sample. And so we hired a local captain and a local boat to go out on to do all of our sampling and we get to the docks in the morning and it's this like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young captain who just recently has kind of started working as a captain in the area. I think he had like a year or two under his belt or whatever. Um, and we get on this boat. It's like a 30-foot kind of Parker-esque boat. Um, and we were like, this is like a pretty substantial boat compared to our 23-foot twin V. Everything will be fine. And we get to the dock, we're loading all our stuff, and there is not a soul on the dock. Not a single fisherman is going out, not a single, like, nobody is going out. And we were like, you know, oh, like, this is feeling a little concerning. Like, if all the people who boat here regularly don't want to be on the water today, like, maybe that's a sign that we should not go out. Um, and so we call our boss, and she basically tells it she's wonderful right like 
the whole team, like all of us are just making the best decisions that we can with the information that we have. And our boss basically said like, hey, we're up against this deadline. We'd really like to get this done. Um, If you look at it, like you're there, I'm not, use your best judgment. If you look at it and you think it's too dangerous, don't do it. But you could always just go out and try. And if it's too bad, you can just come back to shore and call it a day, right? So all of us wanting to like, get this done and like, you know, succeed and achieve something or whatever. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just like, we'll try it. It'll be fine. And so we all get on this boat with this, you know, young captain and we're like, this is going to be great. We're going to do it. Like we brave the the weather and we all get like, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes into this trip, which usually to cross the Mississippi Sound, like on a reasonable day, doesn't take that long. Um, but today it did (laughs) today. It took very long. The waves were very big. Um, and we, we were so slow. We had to go so slowly just to be able to make any kind of progress. And probably about 10 minutes in all of us went and like grabbed life vests and started buckling things on, like grabbed the, the EPIRB and grabbed the sat phone and like all of our safety equipment out from underneath the hull where it usually stays stored and we got it like on the deck and we were like you know just in case (laughs) it's not looking really great and so all of us were asking we were like man this is not it like we don't want to be out here anymore and the captain was like yeah well like I don't either we shouldn't have left the dock but unfortunately we can't turn around because the waves are too big and our boat won't handle that so we have to keep going straight until we find cover from this wind that we can use to be able to turn around in. So at that point, we're like in it. So we're boating and boating and boating and boating and none of us is happy and we are not having a good time. And like, I am white knuckling it. And at this point, we just start like nervous laughing. Like all of us are just like, I cannot believe that we're in this situation and this is awful. And we've been on boats all summer in, like, various storms together as a team, bailing water out of the back of our boat, like, just fine. But this was just totally something else. So we finally make it to these little tiny spoil islands on the other side of the Mississippi Sound, where we're supposed to be sampling. And we anchored there for probably 15 or 20 minutes just to stop ourselves from shaking so much. Like, we were all so full of adrenaline. And the captain was like, dude, I need a break. Like. I need to stop. And so we anchored there and we're all just sitting there like breathing and trying to calm ourselves down and preparing ourselves to turn around and do that whole thing again to get back to shore. And we, we finally make it, we turn around, we get back to shore and we called our boss and we were like, that was the worst decision we have ever made. And like, we should not have been on the water. And yeah, like just, it wasn't anyone's fault. Like we all agreed to go do this thing. Um, but yeah, just like one of those times when the gut feeling of like walking onto the dock and realizing nobody in the area wanted to be on the water that day really should have, like, I wish I would have trusted my gut and just gone with it instead of being like, but we can just try. Um, so yeah, I'm really lucky that it turned out safe, but. That's like the start of a horror movie. It's like. Ah, setting the scene. No one is here. You get a bad feeling in your gut. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It was so wild. And like, it. I'm so glad that we're all safe and it ended up okay. But like the Mississippi Sound is known for wrecking boats, right? Like there is like a huge number of boats that get wrecked in that delta because it's it's just so 
dangerous and different and changing and volatile and it gets really really shallow in the middle so the waves stand up and it is like really not good and I did not know enough about the local area to really get that feeling I just was really concerned that nobody else wanted to be on the water and that is a great example of trust your gut like it's it's so hard to do especially when you are at work and you want to succeed and you want to achieve something and like prove to you know yourself and your team that you guys can do it but you know it definitely a situation where I wish I would have trusted my gut and as soon as I got off the boat I called my mom and my dad which like at this time I was not really I don't I would just call them in the evenings when I needed to or whatever but like I got off the phone and called them and I was like I just want to tell you I love you like I was really scared so it was it was really crazy and 20 something year old Haley got the, oh my gosh uh, the ride of a lifetime it was insane well um yeah. on a more lighthearted story <laughs> i really like this i tell the insane stories and then you tell the like and to make it feel better here's a beautiful coral reef <laughs> yes yes let's end on a positive note leave everyone with happy dive <laughs> <Fair>. thoughts <laughs> okay this one is from alec thanks for writing in another story alec i always uh go to you when we need more content for the podcast so i appreciate <laughs> it okay moving to australia has been an incredible experience there have been ups and downs as with everything course diving can take away any worries preoccupied thoughts in our brains and just put them on pause for a moment it's impressive since it had been more than a month out of the water i was eager to stride off the boat into lake pacific however on this day the conditions were roughly four to five foot seas I'm just going to interject here and say i think they were more like sixes <laughs> on a 45 <laughs> to 50 foot vessel you could definitely feel the waves washing over but we kept on during the trip out to the reef. Once we arrived, the electric blue colors of the 5 to 15 meter deep reef broke the horizon as we approached closer and closer to one area of John Brewer Reef, which is part of the Great Barrier Reef. Sydney and I splashed into the water while wearing hoods. The 70 to 75 degree Fahrenheit water seeped into our wetsuits as we descended down to 50 feet to the bottom of the reef. The amount of coral around us was unbelievable. Huge sprawling thickets of branching and massive overlapping corals, just too many to count in a small area. An immense number of fish and invertebrates surrounded us, moving nonstop over top and through the reef. It was an amazing feeling just floating in the water column, neutral, looking up at the waves crashing over the top of the reef, which was just five feet beneath the surface. A 45-minute dive flew by in a blink, and before we knew it, we were ascending to our safety stop. As we surfaced, it was bittersweet that we only had one more dive on this reef before heading back to shore. Looking forward to diving back under soon. Aww. Yeah. That is a good feel-good story, too. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, these dives on the Great Barrier Reef, like, 45 minutes is not enough. Like, I feel like it just flies by and I'm never ready to go back up yeah that's fair I um am not looking forward to okay 
I'll I'll say this with bated breath because I am looking forward to so many things about being back in Florida for a little while, including all of my friends and my like family at my dive shop. I absolutely love the dive shop I work for. I'm so excited to get to be on boats all the time, which I am hoping to take on a little bit of a like more of a crewing role. So I'll get to be on the boats a little bit more. But one of the things that I'm not looking forward to at all is going from these beautiful reefs here in Little Cayman with like this huge three-dimensional structure and like lots and lots of coral diversity and going instead back to Florida where there's like significantly fewer species of coral and like less reef, reef rugosity overall and also lower visibility. So not super thrilled about that, but that's okay. <laughs> Alec yeah. and I were just talking about that after our dives this past weekend. The topography on the reef, I have some videos that I'll, I can post, but it was just insane. Like these hills and massive walls and pinnacles of the reef that just had coral all the way up to the surface. I was like, where are we? And why is Florida so flat? Like, just complete opposites. Ugh, I know. I know. I I love me some Florida. But, and I'm very excited for sharks and turtle season. But I'm very not excited for the flat reefs. I know. I know everyone in Florida is going to be sad with me. I'm, yeah. I'm also not looking forward to the low vis. I'm, I'm a high vis baby now and a warm water weenie oh my gosh it's <laughs> it's been like bleaching hot all summer which is terrible for the corals and wonderful for me and i am not ready for the fact that it's going to be like like 68 fahrenheit in january when i'm diving yeah. like that sounds terrible that sounds awful i, I don't want to do that i'm going to shiver like a big old baby <laughs> i think it's been <sighs> like still 78 and maybe getting up to like 79 or 80 here maybe not quite um but yeah i've still been in a five mil yeah can't I'm, do I'm it warm water weenie but i'm still looking very much forward to lots of things about florida including all the awesome opportunities i'm not not dissing florida i just don't want to be cold <laughs> yeah fair yeah <laughs> Since this was our last listener story that we have submitted, we're going to need some new ones sent in for our upcoming Fishtails episodes. And I thought with the holiday season, it's already mm -hmm. begun, it's around the corner, maybe people can send in uh, stories about them doing spooky Halloween dives. Like, I know we've talked a bit about us carving pumpkins underwater, and then... Malik and I just dove this past weekend and we wore some silly Halloween headbands with ghosts and Frankenstein on them uh, for our dive, since I don't think they would approve of us uh, carving a pumpkin underwater on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, but Probably I know people not. also do like Santa dives, um, at least around yeah. Blue Heron Bridge. So maybe if anyone has any fun holiday related dive stories they could send those in 
Yeah. Well, by the time this episode airs, it'll be close to Thanksgiving. So maybe we need a Thanksgiving themed uh, <laughs> dive. Please send in your Thanksgiving themed dive stories and not your dive themed Thanksgiving meals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not all of your. Well, OK, I guess that's 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 harsh. I, you know, Sydney and I are both vegetarians, so we don't eat a lot of dive themed anything. We we eat lots of vegetables, but I guess you know, as long as everyone is sustainably fishing and taking according to their take limits, then you eat that dive themed Thanksgiving meal if that's what <laughs> what suits you. Is um, anyone is anyone yeah. eating lionfish for Thanksgiving? I'd like to hear about that. Yep, yep. I I would love to hear about that. I'd love to hear about some consumption of. Uh, invasive species we could oh you know i've heard about people eating invasive iguanas that's pretty yeah. crazy has anyone ever had an invasive iguana for dinner do tell <sighs> oh man <laughs> we better get some good stories <laughs> out of this <laughs> oh my goodness yeah well cool hopefully we get some good stories about holiday themed dives but also just all of your stories any crazy stories please do tell if my boat story mayhem has inspired you to share your own mayhem please do share um i will read it in the most stress inducing way possible so that everyone can hear how terrible it was (laughs) and then sydney can wrap it up with a really lovely story of some peaceful diving Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. And I'm looking forward to reading your exciting fishtail stories soon. Woo! Tune in next week for more insanity. (laughs) (laughs) Bye! Bye! Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our fishtails episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at to dive for podcast and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.